0: nothing. Just right into it, eh? What a crime. Makes me sick. Go back, 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 back. If you didn't know, we did this once before earlier this morning. Hey, good to see you guys. Man, it is good to be back together, eh? We were talking about this before and uh um we were just talking about like the idea of being back together and just how awesome it's going to be, and I'll be honest, in my head, I was like, eh, it'll be fine, but that face out there, the face is out there, but let me tell you, I've changed my opinion, it is awesome, it actually this morning has like invigorated me, just like, it's like a, someone pumping fresh air into your body, I feel like, just this morning as everyone was coming in, the doors are wide open, and we get to have fellowship with each other, it's been great. Uh, so I hope you guys feel the same. If you're not, if you're at home and you've thought, ah, I don't want to come, you've g- got to come. You've got to come and join us because it is great. Um, it's, it's something, I don't even know, it's just something special about being together and fellow believers. It's, I can't really put a pinpoint on it, but it just feels good. feels right. So hey, just before we get in this morning, uh, there's a couple things we want to go over. First of all, um, tonight at 7 p.m., we've got uh, church prayer. So we're meeting here church prayer, have a small little devo and spend the rest of the time uh, praying for each other, praying for our world, our government, praying for our church, praying for just things going on around us corporately together. We uh, have some prayer at 7 o'clock tonight. And then other than that, all the regular things are going on Monday morning. uh, There's ladies prayer at 6 a.m. via Zoom. Uh, So you can find your email for that Zoom link. Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. we've got men's prayer down here. For an hour and then uh, Wednesday night, actually, we've still got walk through the Bible. We're going through the book of Galatians, which I'm looking forward to because we've actually got Lyle leading us uh, this week in the book of Galatians. So I'm super excited to come see what he's, uh, what he's got for us through Galatians. I'm, I'm thankful to get away from our. I mean, uh, it's going to be a, fresh, a breath of fresh air to get away from our, uh, I mean, we'll see how it goes. So Wednesday night, walk through the Bible, seven o'clock here. Uh, and then actually, I want to call up uh, Eli. Eli, If you don't know, Eli's our Young Life Area Director. We'll we call you Young, you a- Young Life I'm Advisor. Area. Young Life guy on the coast, Young Life staff member. And he's got a, uh, well, I'll let him tell you. He's got a little event coming up. He wants to plug.
1: <laughs> hey, guys. Um, everyone online, too. Um, yeah, so I'm Eli. I'm the staff guy for Young Life here on the coast. Um, we've been doing Young Life for the last few months uh, through COVID. Um, We've been doing it all online. Um, it's been a little bit different, but still going and making connections with kids, um, hanging out with them online. Um, and yeah, next Monday, June 15th, uh, so not tomorrow, um, we have a, a huge um, fundraiser in the Lower Mainland. So me, uh, Will, and Pastor Matt, we're going to be golfing 100 holes each of golf. Um, it takes about 10-ish hours to crush that, but... Um, but we will, and we'll be sore, but it'll be awesome. So we're all raising 100 bu- Um, The goal is to raise $10,000. bucks. we are all golfing 100 holes. Um, it's going to be sweet and really tiring, but it's going to be worth it. Um, yeah, it's so that's in Surrey next uh, Monday. And, yeah, the goal is $10,000. Um, we have got some Facebook posts up um, on the CTK page. Will and Matt have been sharing stuff on Facebook. I've been a little bit busy. Um, my wife's birthday yesterday, so... <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> but yeah um yeah um that's pretty much it so if you want to find like the link to to donate to that would be great Where the goal is ten thousand. that's going to cover costs of like all the f- activities you are going to be doing this summer with kids and then um salary stuff for me and all the rest of it so your donations are greatly appreciated and also needed so that's about it thanks mike right, right on
0: thank you yeah if you guys don't know uh Young Life, during this whole COVID period, obviously, they haven't been able to meet for Young Life, so Eli's been leading weekly Zoom meetings, actually. They've been doing Young Life all online. I joined them for one and got roasted, like, all night. (laughs) (laughs) So they're having a good time. They're still working hard, and um, he's got a, they got a great group of kids that, I'm just going to put this down here. They got a great group of kids that they're meeting still weekly, regularly connecting, so Young Life's still going strong during all this, and... um, Yeah, anything you can do to help that hundred holes. I did that once with Will years ago, and it uh, sucked. Well, no, it didn't suck. (laughs) It's it's good. It's fun. But you're sore by the end of it. It's worth the... You feel like you earned the donations you made. Let's just say that. It's not just, oh, we're here having fun. Give me money. You actually got to work a little bit. So it's fun. So yeah, let's get into the book of James this morning. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And then look at Ephesians four eleven to fifteen says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood uh, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for um, just the ability to come back together and meet as your body, uh, just what life-giving it bring, brings to to me personally, uh, just to meet with fellow believers uh, in the flesh. Uh, and I just thank you for those, those that can't meet in the flesh, Lord, that uh, we know they're with us uh, in the Spirit, Lord, that we all, we're all one in the Spirit, Lord, whether you're here in the flesh or not. Uh, I just thank you for that common uh, unity in the body of Christ. And Lord, just this morning as uh, your word goes out, Lord, that you'd give me wisdom to speak your words, Lord, that we'd grow up and mature into the head of the body, into Jesus Christ. So just bless this time this morning. Amen. Amen. So let me ask you guys a question here before we get started. On a scale of 1 to ten, one being bad, 10 being good, where would you say you're at in your maturity in Christ? Is Christ the center of your life? Are you obedient to Christ? How's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading? Are you, are you having fellowship with fellow believers? How's your ability to share the gospel? Can you give an answer to everyone who asks you where you get your hope from? So take stock of those things and just come up with a number of your maturity in Christ. Maybe it's a one, maybe it's a three, maybe it's a seven, maybe it's a 10. And if it's a 10, then maybe we should chat afterwards. But otherwise... It's okay. So you got your number? You got your number? I don't need to know it. Just, just get a number in your head. It's not rocket science. Just get a number in there. And now let me ask you this. Is that number you have in your head right now higher or lower than you would say where it would be five years ago? Five years ago, were you higher or lower in your maturity in Christ? Or maybe you're the same. Maybe it's right the same. And maybe you're sitting here or or you're watching online or or whatever and you think, well, I'm a zero and I was a zero five years ago. I'm not, I have zero maturity in Christ. Well, turn with me to the book of James. The book of James, the 20th book in the New Testament. It's right after the uh, book of Hebrews. And let me tell you something about James as you guys turn there. James was the half-brother of Jesus, same mother, different father. And he grew up in Jesus, he grew up with Jesus in the same household. And, and for the first half of his life, James would put his maturity in Christ at a zero. John 7 5 tells us that even his own brothers didn't believe in Jesus. Even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe him. They thought he was crazy. James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until he saw the resurrected Jesus after he died on the cross and rose again three days later. James couldn't believe without proof. And maybe that's where you're at right now. You're like, I need proof before I believe in Jesus. I'm a zero. You know, I need, more, I need more empirical proof than the over 200 Old Testament prophecies in 39 different books that were written by 29 different human authors over a span of 4,000 4, years. They're all individually writing about one man. One man coming to earth to reconcile people to God. For example, in, in Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says the coming Messiah would be a descendant of King David. In Micah 5:2 it says, "The coming Messiah would be born in Bethlehem." In Zechariah 9:9, 9, 9, it says that Jesus would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey. In Psalm 22, it, it basically outlines all of Jesus' death from, from his time on the cross, you know, right down to the precise detail, down to the piercing of his hands and his feet, and even the fact that the soldiers standing there would throw lots for his clothes. Or maybe you need more proof, maybe you need more proof from the New Testament. The New Testament, which has 27 unique books written by eight different human authors, documenting the life of Jesus, the miracles that he performed, the life-altering changes that he made to people that he came in contact with, the predictions he made, just like the Old Testament, Jesus made predictions, you know, that he would die on the cross, that he would be buried and then raised again three days later, Mark 8.31. Or, or even that after he died, maybe you need more proof. Well, after he died, he rose again and showed himself to over 500 different people. Corinthians 15:6. And then after he left the tomb, he showed himself to Thomas, our favorite boy, doubting Thomas, like we like to call him. He said, Thomas, stick your finger in my side. Look at the holes in my hand. Stick your fingers in them. I'm, I'm real. I'm flesh. I'm not just a spiritual woo, ghost in your imagination. And then later in 1 Corinthians, Jesus in his resurrected body appeared to James. See, James couldn't believe that his stepbrother was the Christ, the Messiah. God become flesh to die on the cross for my sin, for your sin. Paying the required blood price that was deserved of you. See, James couldn't believe until he saw the resurrected Jesus in front of him. And friends, let me tell you that the evidence for Jesus is there. There's 37 different human authors spanning 4000 years documented down to the down to the we're, we're, I was thinking about the Dead Sea Scrolls the other day and how just amazing it is that we found that those Dead Sea Scrolls came up documenting back to before Jesus all about one person the evidence is there You see James spent his whole childhood with Jesus, growing up with Jesus alongside him, and he couldn't, he couldn't believe till the evidence was there. He didn't believe until Jesus was resurrected. Well, friends, the evidence is there. Jesus is resurrected. He's resurrected in front of you, waiting for you to come to him. The reason you're at a zero, maybe, on your number, is not because there's no evidence for Christ. And so you might say, well, Blake, you don't understand. Yeah, I believe that Christ is real or whatever, but you don't understand that the things that have, I've done, the things that have happened to me. You know, you just don't understand. I've done some terrible things. Let me tell you about a guy named Paul. Paul was on his way to Damascus. Paul was a guy who uh, sought to imprison and kill Christians. And while Paul was on his way to Damascus to search out Christians, Jesus gave him a smack on the head and said, no, Paul, I've got different plans for you, actually. So Paul got up, stumbled his way to Damascus, where he put his trust in Jesus. And in a split second, he went from a man who was seeking to, to destroy and kill Christians to a man who's arguably the greatest evangelist on earth that we've ever seen. And let me tell you that knowing Christ and putting my trust in him has been the best, best decision for, in my life. But for many of us, that's where that ends, Right? We put our trust in him, we believe in him, and we go, okay, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll see you in 50 years on my deathbed. Did you know that there's many people who don't like the book of James? Uh, You know, they think it's in direct conflict with the message that Paul was preaching, the message Paul preached about the the idea of grace. Luther famously said that James was an epistle of straw. How about that for an old-timey saying? We don't say that anymore. We should bring that back. He didn't think that James expressed the true nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, James was in leadership in the church of Jerusalem. And in in that early church, there was a lot of drama going on. And that doesn't happen in church nowadays, does it? There was a lot of drama. It was a time of transition for the Jewish people from from living under the law their whole life to now they're living under grace and this this new idea of grace. And it, it just was causing conflict in their church. Uh, you know, during the shift, there was issues. There was, there was people experiencing trials and temptations and, and not knowing what to do with that. There was people who were talking the talk, but they weren't able to walk the walk. There was people opening their mouth, kind of like what I'm doing, and just, bleh, just saying whatever comes out of it. You know, there was coveting. There was rich people just continuing to acquire wealth and, and keep the little man down and just being greedy. And I thought about that, I thought, man, that is not like our world at all today. Might be a little bit. But James recognized this as one, one big issue, one main issue. And the issue wasn't all those things that was going on, those were just the symptoms of, of the main issue. The main issue was that it all boiled down to one thing, and that was the lack of spiritual maturity in the church. And I actually think that's the biggest issue that we biggest problem we probably have in church nowadays is spiritual immaturity, staying an infant in Christ, being fed milk over and over and over, and there's no growth. There's no growth in the church. You know, Satan loves a a Christian who does his weekly Sunday two hour, actually one hour now, uh, Sunday church gathering. You know, you show up, you shake some hands, you flash a grin, you try and stay off Try and hide Facebook from the preacher as he's doing his introduction. And uh, yeah, I'm still in the intro. Just hold off on the Facebook for a second. And uh, you know, and then you walk out the doors and you leave and you just say, okay, perfect. I'm good. Jesus, you stay in these four walls and I'll see you next week. It's been good. They have, they have one camp in, in, the, in the world of Jesus and one foot in the camp of Jesus, one foot in the, in the camp of the world. Double-minded, lukewarm. And so Jesus, uh, James recognized this. James recognized this in the church, in the church that he was leading at that time. He recognized a lack of spiritual maturity. And how easy it is to put on cruise control, right? It's so easy to get in cruise control and just settle into your life. And you get comfortable. And you kind of like it where you are and you're in your little hidey hole, especially COVID, right? No one's left. They kind of build your little nest and you kind of hide in there and you kind of, you never share your faith. You never read your Bible. You never pray. You don't have fellowship with other believers. You you claim Christ is at the center of your life, but is he really? And James recognized this going on in the church of Jerusalem. The issues that were coming up were the symptoms of an underlying greater issue. And in this epistle, uh, James just tries to give these people a shock, a little just zap to wake them up and keep them going. Teach them how a mature Christian should be living. You see, these Christians that James is talking to here, they were kind of like a dead battery. Anyone here have a dead battery in their car before? Processing, processing. Those two at the, you two at the back. Yeah, you've had a dead battery? You in TV land, have you had a dead battery? Talk to me, I can't hear you. Yes, we've all had a dead battery in our car, right? Yes, no, maybe so. But these Christians were like a dead battery. You know when you come out to your car and you go to start your car, it's like click, 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 click? Click, click, and you're just, oh, it's the worst, and you get out, and you think you know what you're doing. You lift your hood up, and you're like, yeah, that's a battery. That's an engine. Uh, must be dead, and so you're looking around, and there's cars driving by, and you're just like, oh, people are driving by. Hey, it's good to be driving. Sucks to be you. See ya, right? And you're like, you're like oh, come on. You sit there and wait, and you're like, what do I do? Do I call a friend? Or, or maybe when you come out of the grocery store or something, and you leave your lights on, and... You're just, like, in the middle of nowhere. You're like, what do I do? Do I phone a friend to come give me a jump? Do I do that awkward? I don't know if you guys have ever done this, where you have... Actually, I've done this where I didn't have jumper cables, even myself. And I have to be like, hey, do you have jumper cables so that you can uh, give me a jump? Not only do I need a jump, I don't even have my own jumper cables. It's like, what a, what a loser. So they, eventually, you get a shock, right? They give you a, they give you a, a shock from their battery, and they... they get you going again and boom you're back in business you're driving down the road and you're going places and you get that jump start from another from another person. And so that's why I'm calling this series as we go through the book of James here um, every time I come up we're calling this series jumpstarting your journey jumpstarting your Jesus journey with James. Let's get it right. <laughs> jumpstarting your Jesus journey with James. And so in this book, James walks through practical ways, just practical ways that you can measure your spiritual growth and marks of a mature Christian. You see, we want to be men and women that are seeking after God daily, that are daily growing in Christ, that are mature men and women that aren't tossed to and fro by every passing wave that comes by. So let's jumpstart our Jesus journey with James in verse 1. We're going to say that a lot today. And the first mark of a mature Christian we see in the book of James is the ability to turn trials into triumphs. That's what we're going to talk about today. How to turn your trials into triumphs. A mature Christian sees trials and turns them into triumphs. And James is awesome because he's basically made my life super duper easy. He's just made a clear outline for me to follow. I don't have to do any work. And so we're going to look at four ways today, four ways that you can turn your trials into triumphs. Those four ways are you count, you know, you let, and you ask. The four ways, count, know, let, ask. So remember those four things, because I'm going to test you, and you're in trouble if you forget. So let's read verse one of James, chapter one. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if you meet trials, not maybe you'll meet trials, not you might meet trials, you know, trials might happen. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds. I love what Worsby says. He says, we are God's scattered people, not God's sheltered people. In this world, you will have trouble. You see, God doesn't live by the direct principle of retribution. Just because you think you're a good person You know, you pay your taxes and you use your turn signal, man, 90% of the time. That doesn't mean you get a free pass in this life of ease and relaxation. In fact, James even tells us actually be expecting it. And not only expect it, but count it all joy. You see, the first way a mature Christian turns trials into triumphs, they count. To count means to add up, to take stock, to monitor, uh, to put value on. Let me ask you a question. What do you value more? Do you value comfort or do you value character? Do you value your life of cushiness or do you value a life of Christ? Count what is important to you is what James tells us. Count. For some of you, that might be a a full-time job to count what's important to you. You know, who here has trials in their life? Anyone? Can I get the two in the back? Trials? Yes, two in the back have trials. Who here has a lot of trials in their life? A lot of trials. Who here feels like sometimes your life is just one big trial? You go, no life, just trial. I do not understand what life is, just trial. And so here we're told to evaluate your trials in light of what God is doing for you. You see, when you become a Christian, you need to take stock of what is important to you. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit begins to refine you. And as you mature towards being perfect and complete like Christ, you need to count. And when it comes to trials, you're told to count it all this joy. Big trials, little trials, red trials, blue trials. Why? Why? Verse three. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. How do we turn trials into triumphs? Number one, we count. Number two, we know. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Know and have an understanding mind. A mature Christian is busy, very busy, counting all of his or her trials as various kinds of joy, because they know that the testing of their faith produces steadfastness. And I find that very interesting, actually, because if you'd asked me this uh, even like three or four, maybe even two or three days ago, that's... Spoiler alert, I left this prep a little bit late. If you just asked me two or three or four days ago uh, what trials would lead to, I would think that would have, I probably would have said faith. It leads to more faith because you know when you have trials, you realize God's helpful and you get more faith, right? Something, I don't know. Yeah, sure, that sounds good. But here actually, we see that when you're tested in trials, it doesn't produce faith. It actually produces steadfastness. Romans 10.17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we hear the word, we understand the word. You guys remember that that five-finger grip we have on the word that our fearless leader taught us? What is it? You hear, you read, you study, you memorize, and you meditate on the word. And from the word of God, faith is built in us with the help of the Holy Spirit. And God tests us to bring out the best of us. You need to know and understand, fellow mature Christians, that the testing and the trials that are coming, that have come, and that will come, are used to help you mature. They're used to help you test your faith, which leads to steadfastness. You know, what's the first thing that a child asks when you go on a road trip? What's the first thing? Are we there yet? Nailed it. What's the second thing? I'm bored. What's that? Gotta pee? <laughs> Gotta pee. <laughs> What's the third thing? Are we there yet? (laughs) You know, children are impatient. In Romans 5, Paul tells us that we are to glory in our tribulations because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Perseverance, steadfastness, patience, hope. I wish today I could give you a shot of steadfastness just from the words I'm saying right now, just directly pumped into you, right into the veins. But I can't. I can't, right? What I say today is not going to give you steadfastness. These things come by trial and by testing. And, And as God allows trials and testing into your life, he does it to show you his faithfulness. See, God, we need to be clear about this. God does not allow trials into your life in an effort to break you down. He doesn't do it to try and put you on the ground and kick you while you're down. He does it to build you up. He does it to show you the faith you have And also to show you his faithfulness he has for you. And so you see, as as the Lord allows trials though, we've got an enemy on the prowl behind that's looking to take those trials and use it to his advantage. He sees an opportunity to turn that trial and turn it into a temptation. Let me ask you another question. A lot of questions this morning. What tempts you? What tempts you? And this is like a bit of a bigger question than just saying what tempts you. Like this is a genuine, what tempts you inwardly in your life? It's hard for some of us to have a serious inward look at that and admit some of the stuff that tempts us, but it's good to know. You know, maybe it's money, maybe it's greed, maybe it's lust, pride. You know, the, the more you know about your enemy, the better you are to resist and flee him. 2 Timothy tells us to flee from youthful passions. Mature Christians, count it all as joy. Count all your trials as joy. Know and have an understanding mind that these trials of your faith produce steadfastness. But you need to be on guard for these trials because as these outward trials come, Satan's going to try and turn them into inward temptations. Don't give Satan an opportunity. But that's easier said than done, right? It's easy for me to stand up here and say, oh, love trials, don't let Satan get in there, right? That's very easy for me to say. And that's why I'm thankful for 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So even when we fail, we can still go back to Christ. The third way a mature Christian turns trials into triumphs. Let's read verse 4. Verse 4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So say it with me. I'm going to keep pounding this in your brain. The first way to turn trials into triumphs is count. count. The second way is no. The third way is to let. The mature Christian has a surrendered will to what God is doing. And here's the thing about God, is that He's not satisfied with just good enough. You see, What we read there is God wants to bring you to perfection and completeness. Pretty nice new uh, little stage we got here, isn't it? Nice background, nice. We're in the 30th century with these new TVs. and It's been awesome. It's been quite the effort as I've popped down here. You know, there's been been two guys spearheading this uh, new background we got here, and that's Matt and Andrew. And let me tell you something about Matt and Andrew that I learned when I popped in here throughout the week um, supervising telling them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> let me tell you about these two guys. First of all, let, you, let me tell you about me. I, I learned, uh, I'm a plumber, and I learned uh, how to be a plumber mostly from a guy named Marcus. I worked alongside him. He taught me all my attention to detail. Um, he used to be a helicopter mechanic, so he was very detail-oriented. He, he taught me the, the need to have things straight, the need to have things looking good, the need to put things in the right place, the need to make things plumb and square. And uh, some of you guys might know him. You might know Marcus who came here, led worship here for years and years and years. And, and, and so now I've grown up and I'm doing my own thing and I, I'm proud of my work and I thought I'd do, I'm doing a good job, blah, blah, blah. And then I came here and saw these two building this backdrop. And I realized I am not anywhere close to perfection like I thought I was. You see, these two guys, Andrew and Matt, they would not accept imperfection. <laughs> they would not accept imperfection. You see those three uh, pieces of metal that the wheels are hanging off of, holding that whole thing up? I came down here, and, and you'll see that the metal surrounding is about an eighth of an inch higher than the wood. And I'm like, cool, let's go. Let's put it up. I'm ready to help you lift this thing. That thing weighs like 500 pounds, by the way. Don't even, if that thing falls, if the, Start yelling if that falls on me because I'm going to die if that crushes me. <laughs> yeah, it's not coming down. That's perfection. See, those guys, they're not messing around. So, the, so the, the, the iron surrounding the frame is about an eighth of an inch higher than the wood. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go. Let's put this thing up. And they're like, no, it's not ready yet. I'm like, what's wrong? It's good. It's good enough. What's the issue? It looks, it looks awesome. They're like, no, no. You see how the wood's different from the metal? We need these metal pieces to be perfectly straight. So they went along, pulled all the bolts off and put washers under to make sure to to wedge it up to make sure it's all perfectly straight and even. And I'm like, is this a joke? Is this a joke to me? No one is going to see this. This is good enough, right? Like you would never know. You you would just never know. But for those two, good enough wasn't just good enough. And that's kind of like God. He doesn't say good enough. He doesn't say not bad. He doesn't say close enough. You see, in the beginning, back in Genesis, God made the heavens and the earth, and he created light. And what did he say about light? What did God say about light? He created light and said it was good. And he created dry land, and it was good. And he he created vegetation, and it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness, and it was good. And he created man and woman, and at the end of the sixth day, God looked back at everything in front of him, everything he's done, and he said, eh, it's okay. No, he didn't say that, did he? What did he say? He said, it's very good. So for goodness sake, what God does is very good, so let him do it. God does all things in his perfect manner, so let him do it. Our third way to turn trials into triumphs. Let him do it. I love nothing more than to tell God what to do. I love it, I love it, stepping in front of God and saying, no, no, God, back up, I got this one, it's okay. I'll take it from here. You see, the immature Christian fights against God's will, the immature Christian experiences trial and tribulation, and rather than counting it as joy, rather than having the testing of their faith lead to steadfastness, it just leads to strife with God. It just leads to you banging your head on the wall over and over. See, God is not gonna work in you Without you surrendering your, surrendering your will to what he has planned for you. Remember in Joshua, we, we've been going through the book of Joshua normally uh, throughout the week. In Joshua, when the commander of the Lord's army comes to Joshua, and Joshua says, Are you for us or are you against us? And the commander says, Neither. It's the wrong question, Joshua, the wrong question. The right question is, are you with the Lord or not? And are you going to let him bring the work he started in you to completion? Are you going to let steadfastness have its full effect or are you going to fight what the Lord is trying to do in you? But how do I know? How do I know if I'm following God's will? How do I know if I'm fighting against what God is doing? How do I know? This is a common question that we ask, right? As Christians, we say, well, how do I know? How do I know what God's will is? How do I know if I'm letting him do what he wants? And I'm going to blow your minds right here. Get ready. Put your seatbelts on. Just ask. Just ask. The fourth way the mature Christian overcomes trials and turns them into triumphs is ask. Verse 5 to 8, let's read. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, just ask. That's our fourth way. Just ask the Lord and he gives generously to all without reproach. He's there waiting on the edge of his seat anxiously. Just waiting to give you what you ask for. So that he can give you generously. And what a just profound idea. What a great relationship. Ask, and he'll give without reproach. That's awesome. But, but don't just ask for anything. Don't just go asking for anything. Ask for wisdom, James tell us, tells us. And, and I personally see that in my own life. The more that I mature in, in Christ, the more that I see the need to ask for wisdom. In my flesh, I often ask for, oh, Lord, take this pain away. Lord, stop this trial. You know, rather than stuff like, Lord, what's going on right now? Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, how can this opportunity be used to help others, to help me mature to perfection and completeness, and how does this help me to spread your gospel? The mature Christian asks for wisdom. Father, be glorified. Lord, give me wisdom in this trial I'm going through. And when you ask, ask with faith, faith without doubting. The immature Christian is like a wave, a wave that one minute is up, one minute is down, tossed to and fro, one minute full of faith, next minute like a double-minded man, doubting and unsure of God's faithfulness. And, and this can be tough, isn't it? Because we're people that like to have control. I like to have control. I like to get my hand on things and have control. You know, we're, we're people like, we give Satan an inch and he just takes a mile. Well, you don't actually think God can do that, do you? Are you really sure that this is what God wants you to do? Are you, are you really sure God has this planned For you, tell you what, you better keep one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus, just in case this Jesus thing doesn't pan out for you. That's double-mindedness. Unstable. Ask the Lord what you want in faith with no doubting. And so there you have it. Do you remember? What are our four? Number one, count. Number two, no. Number three, let, and number four, ask. The mark of a mature Christian is they turn their trials into triumphs. You see, we're told to count it all joy when you, have vari- when you meet trials of various kinds. You're supposed to know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You're supposed to let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete. And finally, we're- the mature Christian asks for wisdom with faith and no doubt. And so let me ask you this question again. Where are you at in your spiritual maturity with Christ? You might have thought that's a, you know, I won't answer that question because I'm, Blake will just keep talking. I won't have to worry about it. Well, I'm bringing, I'll come back to it. Give yourself a number between one and ten. And now compare that number to where you think you were five years ago. Is it higher? Are you more mature in Christ? Is it lower? Maybe you've gone back a bit. Maybe it's the same. Maybe you've been stagnant the whole time. Your battery's been dead and you've been sitting on the side of the road. When you experience trials, do you grumble and do you complain against the Lord? Do you get confused about why these trials are coming? Do you put your guard up and fight against the Lord? Do you look to worldly wisdom and knowledge for answers? Christian, let's keep growing in Christ. You see, God tests us to bring out the best of us. He doesn't try and beat us down and kick us while we're down on the ground. With trials comes steadfastness and with steadfastness comes the Christian lacking in nothing. Let's look at verse nine quickly here. It says, "'Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation "'and the rich in his humiliation, "'because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. "'For the sun rises with its scorching heat "'and withers the grass.'" Its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Friends, this is all gonna burn. Like the flowers that fail and the beauty that perishes, so too will you if you choose to mature in the ways of the world. Though you're comfortable in this life, you might think, oh, this life is nice and comfy, I like it, just remember that. It's only this life. Don't let the pursuit of the world distract you from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You might think, hey, I'm moving. My battery's charged. I got gas in my tank. I am moving. But check which way you're moving. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, as a Christian, as a sinner, as a sinner, you're entitled to your wage. You're entitled to your wage. Well, guess what? That wage is death. So, good luck. But thankfully, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift when Jesus came to earth as a man. Jesus was beaten, Jesus was scorned. Jesus had a, a crown of thorns pushed into his head. Jesus had the, the beard ripped out of his face. Jesus was put up on the cross for you. He let his spirit up for you. He paid the price for you. So that in place of you dying, he took the wage. He took the death. He died for you. And so as the... As as the, uh, Martin comes back up and Martin and Julian come back up to lead us in one final song, I wanna leave you with this. Hebrews 12, two says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, as Jesus was on that cross, what was he doing? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was counting it all joy. He was counting it all joy because he knew what was going to come. He knew he was going to be raised up to the right hand of God. He knew that by paying the price for you, that you would have eternal life. He counted it all as joy for you and for me. And so I want to encourage you this morning that maybe you're at a zero. Maybe you're at a zero in TV land. Maybe you're at a zero, you're sitting here. You, you say, I don't, I don't know Jesus But I want to know Jesus. Well, I'm going to encourage you to get to know him. All you got to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. You're going to experience trials. You're going to experience temptations in this world. But know who your saving grace is it's not the world, it's our Father in heaven, Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you. just for what you taught us today lord that uh, that you bring you allow trials into our life lord but you do it to build us up god uh, you don't want to see any man fail lord you want to show your faithfulness to us you want to show your goodness to us lord so i pray for wisdom this week god uh, as i as we leave this place lord that you just give us all wisdom lord wisdom to see the trials wisdom to understand that the trials are uh, for our good, Lord, that you don't give trials for our for our bad. So Lord, just thank you for this week, Lord. And if there's anyone out there, God, that um, that just wants to know Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would just pray this right now, Lord, that I confess that I am a sinner, Lord. I confess that I need you, God. Lord, I want you to come into my heart. I want to repent from my sin. I want to Leave my sin in the past, Lord, for you've washed me whiter than blood. Uh, Jesus, fill me with the Spirit. Lord, I offer my life to you this morning, God. I just thank you for that, Lord. Just thank you. Amen. Let's have one more song.